0: European Hearts Journal Issue as a Glance, Volume 39, Issue 11. Focus Issue on Percutaneous Coronary Intervention and Coronary Artery Disease by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Managing Stable Coronary Artery Disease, Drugs, PCI or Devices In the 41st year after introduction of Percutaneous Coronary Intervention or PCI, by Andreas R. Grunzig, there is still debate about its place in the management of cardiac patients. While the place of primary PCI in patients with acute coronary syndromes is indisputable, and indeed it has contributed considerably to the currently very low mortality rate in this patient population. In contrast, in patients with stable coronary artery disease, the indication, success rates and the effects of PCI on angina and hard endpoints are less clear. The disappointing results of PCI on hard endpoints in courage were partially outweighed by the somewhat better results on quality of life during 36 months. A more recent meta-analysis suggested, however, that the most recent generation of drug-eluting stents, particularly those coated with Everolimus, might prevent hard endpoints. Later last year, the Orbiter trial again questioned the superiority of the antianginal effects of PCI compared to medical therapy in patients with stable coronary artery disease. In a viewpoint entitled Orbiter Revisited, what it really means and what it does not, Bernard Chaitman and colleagues undertook a critical analysis of this complex trial. In particular, the authors systematically analysed the statistical power of the trial to come up with convincing results. Although the authors have to be complimented for finishing such a complex protocol successfully in less than 200 patients with stable coronary artery disease, it appears that the Orbiter trial is substantially underpowered. There is a clear trend towards better exercise performance of patients undergoing PCI compared to those receiving anti-anginal drugs alone, and furthermore they found a significantly better left ventricular performance in the PCI group. Thus, the Orbiter trial is unfortunately not conclusive, and it is not sure whether the ongoing ischemia trial will provide a convincing answer, as this trial has stopped recruiting with far fewer patients than planned. A far broader picture on the progress of PCI is provided in The Year in Cardiology 2017 – Coronary Interventions authored by Michael Meng and colleagues from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark. The authors remind us that during the last decades, PCI has undergone major improvements, with the first real game-changer being the introduction of bare metal stents, which made PCI safer and improved longer-term outcomes. Later on, drug-eluting stents were introduced, which resulted in a major reduction in restenosis and also, with the newer generation drug eluting stents, a low rate of stent thrombosis. Further, the introduction of intracoronary pressure measurements for assessment of severity of coronary stenosis, i.e., fractional flow reserve and instantaneous wave free ratio, and intracoronary imaging, such as intravascular ultrasound and optical coherence tomography, for lesion assessment. The procedure has been further improved. Furthermore, adjunctive antithrombotic drugs and secondary prevention have optimised drug-device synergy. Still, 40 years later, the research in the coronary intervention field is very intense, and the major developments published in 2017 are nicely reviewed in this article. Major progress in the management of patients with chest pain has also been achieved over the last decades with the introduction of novel cardiac imaging modalities. In particular, the resolution, radiation exposure and data processing of coronary computed tomographic angiography has been remarkably improved either as a single modality or as a hybrid procedure with nuclear techniques. However, the long-term prognostic benefit of the results of this technique in an asymptomatic population is uncertain. In their manuscript, Prognostic Value of Coronary Computed Tomographic Angiography Findings in Asymptomatic Individuals, a six-year follow-up from the Prospective multicenter International CONFIRM study, James K. Min and colleagues from the Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, USA, report results of the prospective multicenter international CONFIRM study. The authors evaluated 1,226 asymptomatic subjects without known coronary artery disease who underwent both coronary artery calcium scoring and coronary computed tomographic angiography. During a mean follow-up of around six years, 78 deaths occurred. Compared with the traditional risk factors alone, coronary computed tomographic angiography findings, including coronary stenosis severity, plaque composition, and coronary segment location, demonstrated improved incremental prognostic utility. However, no added prognostic benefit was offered by coronary-computed tomographic angiography findings when added to a base model containing both traditional risk factors and coronary artery calcium scoring. Thus, coronary calcium seems prognostically as revealing as precise anatomical information about the extent of the disease. These provocative findings are put into context in an editorial by Wolfgang Koenig from the Deutsches Herzzentrum München in Germany. To circumvent the oculostenotic reflex of operators' physiologic measurements of stenosis severity, such as fractional flow reserve, or FFR, and instantaneous wave-free ratio, or IFR, have been developed and evaluated. However, there are still limited data on the clinical implications of total physiologic atherosclerotic burden assessed by invasive physiologic studies in patients with coronary artery disease. In their paper, Clinical Implications of Three-Vessel Fractional Flow Reserve Measurement in Patients with Coronary Artery Disease, Bon Kwon Koo and colleagues from Seoul National University Hospital in the Republic of South Korea addressed this question. In their 3VFFR FRIENDS study, 1,136 patients underwent fractional flow reserve measurement in three vessels. The patients were classified into high and low three-vessel FFR groups according to the median value. Mean and geographic percent diameter stenosis and fractional flow reserve were forty three point seven plus or minus nineteen point three percent and zero point nine zero plus or minus zero point zero eight respectively. There was a negative correlation between three vessel FFR and estimated two year mace rate the patients in the low three-vessel FFR group showed a higher risk of two-year MACE than those in the high three-vessel FFR group with a hazard ratio of 2.2. The higher two-year MACE rate was mainly due to a higher rate of ischemia-driven revascularization. In a multivariable adjusted model, low three-vessel FFR was an independent predictor of MACE with a hazard ratio of 2.031. The authors conclude that patients with high total physiologic atherosclerotic burden assessed by three vessel FFR showed higher risk of two year clinical events, mainly due to ischemia driven revascularization. While coronary plaques are the major cause of myocardial ischemia, Vasospastic angina is less common in Western countries, but an important presentation in Asian patients. While plasma serotonin seems to be a biomarker of coronary spasm, rho-kinase activity in circulating leukocytes has been proposed as a marker of disease activity. In their manuscript, Prognostic Impacts of Rho-Kinase Activity in Circulating Leukocytes in Patients with Vasospastic Angina Hiroaki Shimokawa and colleagues from the Tohoku University Graduate School of Medicine in Sendei, Japan, examined the long-term prognostic impact of rokinase activity in circulating leukocytes in 174 patients with and 50 without vasospastic angina. During follow-up, cardiac events occurred in 10 or 5.7% of the patients with vasospastic angina but in none of those without it. Kaplan-Meier survival analysis showed a significantly worse prognosis in vasospastic patients with high Rho kinase activity compared with those with low activity of the enzyme. Importantly, combination of the Japanese coronary spasm association risk score and Rho kinase activity significantly improved prediction. Thus, Rho kinase activity in circulating leukocytes is useful for prognostic stratification of patients with vasospastic angina. A finding that is further discussed in an editorial by Amir Lerman from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA. Patients with diffuse and end stage coronary artery disease, particularly those who had bypass surgery years ago, are a therapeutic dilemma. Commonly, both reoperation and PCI are technically unappealing. To address this issue, Shmuel Banai and colleagues from the Tel Aviv Medical Center in Israel have developed a new technique that they present in detail in their review The Reducer Device in Patients with Angina Pectoris Mechanisms, Indications and Perspectives. Persistent angina is common not only in patients who are not good candidates for revascularization, but also in patients following successful revascularization. Clearly, there is a need for additional treatment options for refractory angina beyond currently available pharmacological and interventional therapies. In such patients, the success of a new therapy is mainly judged based on its effects on patient symptoms, functional status, and quality of life, rather than hard clinical endpoints. The coronary sinus reducer R is a novel technology designed to reduce disabling symptoms and improve quality of life of patients suffering from refractory angina. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.